You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me, yet again is Paul Doroshenko. I'm so proud to be with you, Kyla. You started off just a moment ago and had to restart the recording. Yeah. And you sounded so tentative, like you were <laughs> unsure of yourself. And I, I'm not accustomed to that. Well, I'm sorry. I will try and be more sure of myself in the future. That threw me a little bit. You're usually so sure of yourself. And this week you should be sure of yourself because you have been chosen as one of the 25 most influential lawyers in the country by Canadian Lawyer Magazine and their editorial staff. Yeah, and the votes of the public. But they also, it wasn't merely a a popularity contest. It was also, they looked at, you know, the candidate and they went through and, and made some decisions on that basis. So I'm sure a lot of people voted for you as well. And they may have taken that into consideration, but they also looked at your many achievements, and I'm very proud of you. Thank you. So you shouldn't be tentative. You should (laughs) proudly speak up. Okay. Kyla Lee, here you are listening to the podcast. She is one of the 25 most influential lawyers in the country, and there's no doubt about that in my mind. Well, thank you. And I'm proud of you. So now, (laughs) this is your podcast. I give it back to you. Okay. Um, now that I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry, I surprised you with that. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, uh, the thing I wanted to talk to you about that has nothing to do with online polls and, and recognition um, is recognition that a senior citizen probably didn't want to get in Saanich. Well, this isn't deep in the law, but this is an interesting thing for us because of what we do. We're driving lawyers. This is a driving law podcast. Yes. So, um, 72 year old, um, individual driver in Saanich issued a four month driving prohibition. Now that would not be, I mean, the age is unusual. We defend, we get a lot of those, uh, people who have multiple tickets and then they get a letter notice of intent from the superintendent of motor vehicles saying that they're going to prohibit them for a period of time. You get two cell phone tickets in this province in two years, you're going to get a four-month driving prohibition. But this is a little bit different because the person didn't acknowledge the process and then it was served by... Saanich Police. Saanich Police. And then bragged about on Twitter by Saanich Police. And that's really strange. That's the weird part. Yeah. Like, they serve four-month prohibitions to drivers for having too many cell phone tickets, probably frequently. Maybe not every day, but a lot. No, and they single this person out, and because you of the why. age. Oh, maybe. I mean, I, 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 it's something that I've spotted, and we've talked about, and I've talked about every time. There's like a cell phone driving change law in change of law in BC. I've been on the radio all these times, and I always talk about the fact that um, it doesn't seem to be an age issue. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know, maybe the young people are using Instagram and recording videos, but I see people who are of, you know, people who I would expect to know better, my age, older than that, seniors, holding their cell phones up 
So are you yeah. a senior? Is that what you're saying? I said older than that. <laughs> My age, I said older than that. Yeah, um, on their on their phones. Yeah. So I don't think it's, uh, it doesn't seem to be an age thing. And I, I know Grant Gokter was always saying, oh, it's going to take a generation just like seatbelts for people to learn to not use their phones. And I think that's completely wrong because mm-hmm. I think the addiction to the phone is is uh, ubiquitous. I think it's, oh, uh, totally. it covers cross generations. And, and our so phones are, are, you know, year after year becoming more <clears throat> useful to us in getting things done. I mean, you can order your dinner on an app on your phone and have it waiting for you on your doorstep when you get home. Of course. And you can do that while you're driving. Mm-hmm. If you're using your hands-free and your speaker system through your car. No, you can't yet. Well. That technology is not available yet. But if somebody invents. Maybe there is. A hands-free mobile delivery app like, like Uber Eats, but hands-free where I can order my dinner, I will invest in that. I'm sure you will. I will throw money at that. You were unwilling to invest in my invention six years ago of uh, of a robotic robotic weeding tractor that uh, replaces, uh, electric robotic weeding tractor that replaces using uh, pesticides and and weedicides, herbicides. Oh, as as I recall. And now you're willing to invest in some silly app. Well, as I recall, six years ago, you were asking for for investment capital, and I had all of uh, like twenty dollars that yeah. I could contribute. Yeah. Your twenty dollars could have gone a long way. I was swimming in law school debt. Yeah, your twenty dollars could have gone a long way. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, I guess this case also highlights two things. One, what are they doing releasing this information? You mentioned this before uh, yeah. a minute ago. Um, you know, Saanich police are, are, is it, is, is it their job? Are they the general deterrence? Are they, is that their, their role? No, they're not a judge. The whole point of general deterrence comes up at a sentencing process. This guy's not been sentenced. He got his tickets. He paid his fines. He accumulated 12 points from cell phones and three random points from something else for a total of 15. The superintendent gives him a four month prohibition. That's the specific deterrence. But the superintendent doesn't publish, you know, a, a document every day saying, today we pro- prohibited 42 drivers on the basis of bad driving records. Maybe they should. Maybe they should. I would maybe like they to. Should, maybe they should publish like a monthly report. We, you know, we prohibited 486 people this month on the basis of their bad driving records with uh, driving prohibitions ranging from one month to uh, to 14 months or something like that. I'd, I'd like to see those statistics, honestly, because it would tell us. One, what I think about this is that four months for three cell phone tickets is a little bit heavy-handed, taking into account the age of the person. But we see that all the time, right? Four months for... I know we see it, but I don't. that doesn't stop me from we thinking that it's heavy-handed. We see four months for two cell phone tickets. It might have been over a longer period of time to get it. Um, it. It may have just been four months for the two. The third one might have been too far down the road because we see four months as the standard now, right? Oh, I know. You get two, uh, people phone me up all the time. They're like, well, yeah, it's my second cell phone ticket. I'm like, well, you're going to lose your license. How long? Four months. <laughs> That's what they're looking at. That's what you're going to get. You can get it reduced maybe depending on your circumstances. Yeah, but uh, this is the other thing though that I think this case highlights in the same vein as the heavy handedness of it is the fact that you have people who, this person, got served... Grandpa Simpson. Yeah, Grandpa Simpson there got served the driving prohibition by Saanich police, which tells me 
but he got it in the mail. First, he would have received a notice of intent to prohibit, which he either took steps to address or didn't. Then he would have received a notice of prohibition in the mail, which he didn't acknowledge, didn't send in his license, didn't go to ICBC to sign and, and surrender, continued to drive. Old man shakes his fist at Cloud. Yeah, or, or old man shakes his fist at specific deterrence. Exactly. <laughs> but this is something we see so commonly. People just sort of, you know, saying, Well, they ignore the letters. You. They think that they yeah. shouldn't matter to them. Uh, they've had a driver's license, especially if you're a senior. You've had a driver's license for so long that you think to yourself, like, you can't take my license away. Of course, you never know. At age 72, you could have Alzheimer's or all sorts of other things. Maybe. But, I mean, it's just, it's interesting because it is a consistent pattern that also doesn't appear to be generational that people yeah, get the true. letters and drive. It's they true. keep driving, they ignore them, and they wait and see if they get pulled over and serve the prohibition. We have an ongoing joke in the office, and that is that people receive the notice of intent to prohibit, and um, it's the, the, the triggering date is the date that it's mailed. They used to not mail them right away, which was really unfair. Now they are fairly careful to mail those letters out right away, but the people who receive them will often phone us at 7 p.m., on a Friday when they've already had the letter for a week. Yeah. I got this letter in the mail and I've only got two days left to write. It's 7 p.m. on a Friday. Oh, thank you. 7 it doesn't matter who's on call. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. on a Friday. There you it is. You basically like set an alarm by it. Yeah. <laughs> if only I had a job that started at 7 p.m. on a Friday. I'd anyway, be... I guess the senior doesn't, you know, he's retired or he or she. And so, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a Friday that they could call they could just forget that friday's coming up and i should be phoning acumen law to tell them but didn't they used to and they still have the power to do this didn't they used to send these notices of prohibition by registered mail and then the prohibition would start upon receipt of it and they could track that the person received it because of the mail slip well that's the thing most people when they they get the notice of intent then they disregard the notice of intent or they write in and they get a decision and the decision says you're going to get a separate letter and they know that the separate letter is coming registered mail they just don't never they don't go to the post office to collect the registered mail and they miss the the postal delivery so they ignore the registered mail at which point the police are then tasked with the uh, job of issuing the driving prohibition so guess, now but... the next question is the person who disregards the Notice of intent, maybe in this case, we don't know. The notice of prohibition, the, like the registered mail coming, and then is served by the police, significant chance they're going to drive while prohibited. Yep. And in but, Ontario, they have had a much bigger problem with that than we've had in British Columbia. Why? I don't know why that is. It's just uh, I, I, too many mustaches. I don't know. Can't explain it. Huh. Uh, but they've had a bigger problem with driving while prohibited historically than we have had. I always thought that, you know, half the time the driving while prohibited charges end up happening to people because of the way that they're not enforcing the driving prohibition as soon as the person receives it, as opposed to letting them continue to drive after they got it in the mail and then serve it on them. And the registered mail system creates a better record of when they got it. So you can just say the prohibition started, they picked up their mail. And if they didn't and the police serve it on them, fine, but there's going to be fewer of those cases. Because 
most people don't ignore registered mail. I think a lot of people know that the only registered mail they're going to get is from the superintendent of motor vehicles. And I think that ignoring the registered mail has become much more common over the course of my career um, as a result of the fact that people probably discuss this on the internet. And you could probably Google it and find out, why am I getting registered mail? And if you can't, you heard it here on this podcast. In any event. Uh, well, I mean, it's worse to be serve it, have it served on you by the police because you, you're out there on the roadside. At best, they can give you a temporary license that lets you drive your vehicle home. Um, that leads to even more confusion often. Um, but they also could tow your car if uh, if they think that you've already been received that notice, and potentially you could end up charged with driving while prohibited. Mm-hmm. I had a case once where my client um, got charged with driving while prohibited because he received the notice of prohibition, went eh, continued to drive, didn't get caught um, to be served the notice, and then figured enough time had passed that he backdated it. And then there was evidence that he'd received a ticket during the time that he'd backdated it, and he ends up with charge with driving while prohibited because all of a sudden the officer gets a notification, hey, this guy was prohibited. Yeah, and... Uh, that cost him some problems. That ends up with a world of grief, yeah. It does. I, I fixed it, but it, it was an expensive lesson. I, when I was 19 years old, took a trip to the mountains in my Fiat, and I was amazed that I made it back for Monday for work, and uh, the letter prohibiting me had arrived on the Friday and I got back home on the Monday and I dated it for the Friday and sent it in. I was 19 years old. that guy. Yeah. You are bad. (laughs) I have no idea whether or not they gave me the credit. Um, Oh, they probably did. They may have because... Did you get a ticket in the meantime? No, no, I didn't Then they never would have known that you drove. No. And I, I drove from Edmonton to British Columbia, so I wasn't prohibited in British Columbia. I was prohibited for the four hours of driving from... Edmonton to uh, to the BC border. Oh, what do you know? All right, moving on. Tangentially related to cell phones. That's a long time ago, man. That's like 32 years ago. So you are a senior citizen. Practically. <laughs> Tangentially related to cell phones. I was, and if I sound tired, it's because I was in court today. You're in court every day. I'm in court most days. That's What's your belly true. aching? arguing an appeal of a traffic ticket conviction. And the case actually raises a really interesting issue, and it's not clear whether the court's going to decide it um, in this case, but I wanted to talk about it with you. Um, really? On with this me? Podcast. Really? Yeah, with you. I want to include you. Um, so the Motor Vehicle Act defines electronic device as including any electronic device that... Uh, has the ability to process or compute data. That's it. Pretty open. We've talked about this, like a calculator. Calculator. Um, You know, literally computing. A camera. Yep. A digital camera. Yep. But what about an ignition interlock device? Well, you get all these people who have the interlock. Mm -hmm. I've taken this particular phone call 1,000 times over Mm -hmm. the course of my career, and it is... Yeah, I got this interlock, and it's a real pain in the ass. And besides, it's like it's using an electronic device. It's like distracting me more than anything, because it's going off all the time. And 
I'm always worried about it going off. And it's it, going off, and it's, what if I'm on a long turn in a snowstorm, and it starts <laughs> beeping and needs me to blow? It's more distracting than my phone. Yeah, where do you live? <coughs> Richmond? You're yeah. not going to be on a long turn in a Could snowstorm. Happen. Could happen. Um, no, but it's the same the same phone. Uh, I did an impersonation back when I was in, yeah, I was in the bar course. Yeah, Terry when, and, Thompson or yeah, whatever. Yeah, in front of Jeff Ray, smart lawyer in New Westminster. <laughs> was my judge back then. Um, he was QC'd the same time as me. Um, the, um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've had that phone call so many times from people saying that their interlock is more distracting than anything else. Yeah. And the purpose of the electronic device legislation is distractions, but of course, I suppose, you know, <laughs> but this is the problem because you have to actually do the tests on the interlock while you're moving. Like it's not just blow into it, start the engine. It's also doing these rolling tests where you have to blow into it while you're rolling along to prove that you didn't like, you know, slam a couple Mickeys right after getting in the driver's but seat. Once installed, it's in, it's part of your car. It's no different than you know adjusting the windshield wipers. It's part of your car. Yeah, but your by remote that... for your for your, uh, to start your car is part of your car. Opening your trunk with your remote when you've stopped and still in gear at dropping somebody off at the airport, for example, it's part of your car. You're Safely not using parked electronic and out of the device. way of traffic. You're entitled to use the electronic device. I'm usually still rolling while I'm driving and dropping Yeah, I know you've dropped me off at the airport before. You yeah. just push me out. Get the hell out of the car. <laughs> Tuck and roll. Oh. <laughs> if I ever look disheveled on a flight, that's why. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um scrapes heel <laughs> no the 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 problem is that there's no exception and you'd think the legislature would have made one but no specific exception in the motor vehicle act for using an interlock yeah and it is a device that does a calculation mm -hmm. it's electronic mm -hmm. it's handheld in order to use it Yep. It can be wireless or wired into your car, depending on the version, but it's still an electronic device that does a computational thing. The computational thing is calculating BAC. that you've got alcohol in your, no, well, any alcohol in your body, and then reporting it back to the, back to the uh, device that's connected to your ignition. I think it's a 20 milligrams percent threshold. I think the purpose of the 20 milligrams percent threshold is because you can have 20 milligrams percent naturally occurring in your body. Yeah. Um, no, but the, the, the thing that like really gets me about it though, when you say oh, it's hardwired to your car, so it becomes an extension of your car is that that's completely opens the door for the argument that if I plug my cell phone into my car to charge it, now my cell phone's an extension of my car. Well, it's not hardwired, but and, you could hardwire your, oh, your cell phone charger into your car. And Paul. Even beyond that, I can rely on traffic court case law to support my contention because there is the decision, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a case of uh, by Judicial Justice Adair where the person had their earbuds in and the earbuds oh, yeah, were connected yeah, yes, to the yes, phone and yes, he said yeah. by putting the earbuds in, he essentially extended the length of his phone such that the earbuds became the phone itself. Now, if you apply that reasoning Going from the phone into the car, do you extend the car to become the phone itself? Well, I think all you have to do is... Well, I'm uh, going to make that argument in my some, next charging case. Get some electrical tape and tape your uh, iPhone uh, 
USB charger <laughs> into your into the slot. Yeah. Put some glue on the one side that doesn't have any contacts. The <laughs> wire is firmly wired into the car. It's no different than a interlock. I mean, I think the court has to just imply an exception for the interlock, but uh, I don't know. Can you I mean, carve the out legislation an that doesn't exist. Though? Well, yeah, I know, but you've got. I mean, it logically follows because the interlock is is legislated as well, right? Yeah, but you would think that if you look just at the structure of the Act, 214.2 frustrates 25.1 and 25.2, the interlock provisions, and vice versa. What surprises me is that um, the judicial justice that was hearing that case concluded that an interlock was an electronic device um, at all, because I, I don't know how... I mean, if it was, I, I mean, you can be a very courageous judicial justice mm -hmm. uh, and not give a damn what um, anybody thinks. But I would have just come to the conclusion that this is a, this is legislated for the purpose of the safety of the vehicle and the intention of the, of the electronic device prohibition is legislating to stop you from being distracted by your electronic device. Yeah, it's legislating safety. Exactly. And that's the overarching purpose of the Motor Vehicle Act. So all of the provisions have to be interpreted in a way that's consistent with that purpose. I am a little bit surprised. Did Was that a reported decision or was it one that no. we just ordered? So we just ordered we the transcript the and we were doing the appeal of it. Um, because the um, that decision being out there would probably trigger a million other people wanting to... Uh, claim that whatever it was was glued into the dash if it goes one way and whatever it was or that uh, police officers starting to issue tickets to people for having an interlock yeah well this is the thing right like i know a bunch of you want to talk about brave judicial justices i know a bunch of brave officers who would love to go out and bump up their stats by issuing interlock tickets well, the other thing is, like, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, you're a police officer, and there's a guy who's got an interlock, and, gee, we stopped that guy for three impaireds, and Kyla beat the three impaireds, and then he got a fourth impaired, and we gave him an interlock, and we're angry about the fact that Kyla Lee beat three impaireds for him, and therefore we're going to give him a ticket for using an electronic device when he was driving like a jerk, or just driving... And but he wasn't impaired because he had the interlock. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe, you should maybe, get a point. <laughs> maybe he was, and he had an air compressor in the trunk. Yeah, right? or a raccoon. Yeah, train, train, trained raccoon. Yeah, there's, a, there's an urban legend about people with an interlock in their car, a military members, um, like a Navy guy or something, who, who catches a raccoon and forces the raccoon to blow for him. That's a well-trained raccoon. I yeah, think you'd, yeah. <laughs> you'd good luck training a raccoon. You'd think it you'd be able to train weak. some. Not likely. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I I worked with somebody at Canadian Tire, now we're 35 years ago, who had a, a interlock of the time. And uh, he would, uh, he was a problem, you know, he was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. uh, and he used to blow up balloons and leave them in his car to be able to untie to connect to his interlock. How was he sure that he wasn't drunk when he blew up the balloons? Well, he probably did it first thing in the morning, but yeah, I suppose the balloons would collect the alcohol. That was the uh, the earliest um, breathalyzers used a balloon. Yeah. And you'd blow up and fill up a balloon, and then it was then pushed through a chemical solution. Which reminds me, as I've said before, 
if anyone has access to a Drunkometer, an original Drunkometer balloon system, I will pay top dollar. Contact me. The Drunkometer. Yeah, I want one. very first police-approved device used to detect uh, impaired uh, driving. In- incredibly cool. There are two sort of legal artifacts I would like to acquire in my lifetime. One is the carbolic smoke ball. I don't care about that anymore. Well, I and I don't think they exist. But you could probably manufacture one, claim that you had the original one, and 30 years from now nobody would know the difference, and your family could probably sell it to some lawyer somewhere for $30 million. $30 million. What lawyer is going to pay $30 million for that? Some what lawyer firm, has $30 Some million? big law firm will somewhere to Maybe say a they million. claim that they've got the original carbolic smoke ball. Create it. Create the bottle and then hide it in your basement. You'll be leaving your family something wonderful. A fraud. <laughs> yeah. And we're back at you counseling me to commit fraud. <laughs> After I'm dead. You know it's an offense to counsel someone to commit an offense. It was a joke. It was a joke, okay? I wasn't actually threatening him. It was a joke. When I said I was going to kill him, I wasn't threatening him. Yeah. Okay, so back to the electronic device thing. We have seen, though, this police overreach before. We heard a story from our friend Grant Gotkotru, who... Oh, yeah, the... The insulin pump. Insulin pump. There was a police officer that Gakatru was supervising back when he was an Ursu corporal who came back to the unit after a day of issuing tickets and heroic policing. And I say that only partly sarcastically. (laughs) And he proudly bragged that he had issued a ticket to a person for using an electronic device while driving because they... To wit... (laughs) Yeah, just because they were using an insulin pump. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so apparently, I mean, Grant was his supervisor and kiboshed yeah. it, but the... Uh, <laughs> that ticket got ripped up real quick. <laughs> yeah, probably not just ripped up. They probably phoned the person and said, yeah. you know what, we're canceling this ticket. This is not appropriate. Um, <clears throat> if you need it to survive, you shouldn't have to... Get a ticket for it. But it brings me back to discretion used by officers. And I've talked about that a lot this week because we've been talking about these three plants. um, And this is not driving anymore, but three cannabis plants that an officer who was off-duty saw in Revelstoke. So stupid. Yeah. Um, Invited to the house. There's a, you know, part of the provision of the Cannabis Control and Licensing Act talks about, you know, uh, public can include an invitee type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> invited into the house on a garden tour. Adults, we're not talking like children here. Not in the house, in the backyard. <clears throat> backyard, well, invited to the houses, but to see the back, and it was in the backyard. And there's three cannabis plants in the backyard that were not a viewable, my understanding is, from just like a public space. But these people who were going on this garden tour saw it and the police officer saw it and like grumbled and then uh, ran out and got a warrant and executed the warrant on the house and the property and the outbuilding and cut the lock and left the dog tied up on the front lawn uh, with five police cruisers for these three plants. And you're thinking to yourself and all I'm thinking is, all right, maybe they committed an offense. I don't know. I look at the, 
at the legislation and that does not seem to be what the intention was. But no. really, like not just knock on the door and say, hey, yeah, you know what? Cannabis is lawful now and it's all good. But remember, yeah. can't be publicly seen. So Here's make sure you hide it because I saw those three plants the other day. You know, like what? Where's your teaching opportunity? The law is new. People are learning. Which brings me back to the discretion of an officer. So the discretion of the officer with the insulin pump case. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that didn't make the news because Grant stopped it, but it probably would have been. The discretion oh of officer on the three plant. I would have told Grant case. to tell me who got that ticket. Uh, then I would have represented them. Yeah, Grant wouldn't have told you. He mm. was a cop back mm. then. Yeah, but if the guy refused to scratch up the ticket? If the officer refused to scratch up the ticket, yeah. the officer would would not be... Yeah, I guess you can't refuse a direct order from a superior when you're in the policing career. He had no choice but to tear up that ticket. Oh, oh boy, did he have no choice. <laughs> the um, the unfortunate thing, though, is my point is the discretion of the police. And it brings me back to you and I presenting to Parliament on something. Mm -hmm. And we were sitting, waiting for our opportunity to present. And before that, there were lawyers for the Department of Justice or Crown Counsel C talking. C-75. Yeah, and they were talking about, oh, no no crown would ever approve a charge like that. No police officer would ever arrest somebody under those circumstances. The judge would give a good finger wagging to them. That's, there's no, we, our prosecutors are, are exercise better discretion than that. And all I was thinking when that guy was giving that presentation to the parliamentary committee was you're assuming that all police officers are rational using good judgment, similar to your judgment all the time. And you're assuming all prosecutors uh, are the same using good judgment all the time. Um, and then you look at the uh, insulin pump guy and you look mm -hmm. at the, <laughs> you look at the uh, warrant for the, the three plants um, you know, this, seen on a tour or this totally fucked up thing that happened in Montreal. What, what I you was telling about, you Willis? about this earlier, the, the man, who was cleaning out his car. Oh, this, okay. Taking out his yeah. belongings and garbage from his car when police pulled up to him and because one of the bottles that he was removing from his car was an empty liquor container, they accused him of drinking and driving. Well, drinking and driving, but it went further than that though, right? He was fully arrested and he ended up getting a ticket for consuming alcohol while driving. Despite the fact that he never drove. But that was it, though. They didn't, I thought he, they... They conducted an impaired driving investigation. Determined that he wasn't impaired. Because... He wasn't impaired. He wasn't. So they started an impaired driving investigation, again, like this other person who was, just had bottles in their yep. car. Yep. Um, in this case, did they do a ASD test? Uh, that I don't know. But they conducted an impaired driving investigation, and then ultimately, and, and the suggestion here is that the... Or the concern here is that they did it because he's black. Yeah. Right? Well, allegedly, and I say allegedly very carefully because I believe this, um, the man says that when the police came up to him, they started the interaction by saying, boy, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, the problem with that, some things have the ring of truth and... You, you know, you're looking at it and saying, you, like our clients tell us things in immediate roadside prohibition cases, and you're looking at it saying, that has the ring of truth. Um, 
you could see it happening. You could also see that the police would never put that in their report. No. And you can see sort of the shock that would leave the person remembering it and that they wouldn't make that allegation unless it happened. And that's always assuming that people are are rational, decent humans and not psychopaths. But, um, yeah, you could see that happening. Yeah. He was also asked who the car belonged to because he is black. I don't know. Did I say that already? Yeah. Who's that car belong to? Boy, Uh, who does the car belong to? Oh. So racist. Oh. So racist. Not racially tinged. Straight up racist. Yeah, well, we've talked about that um, on this podcast before. Uh, if you've listened to all the podcasts, you've probably heard my couple of stories of uh, black clients I've had who have been roughed up um, where they probably wouldn't have been if they were not black. Um, pains me greatly. Yeah. Always makes me feel like I'm complicit in something that I... I is contrary to my moral values when I hear of these things and knowing that I'm part of the justice system, that I'm not out picketing this weekend about this. Well, I mean, picketing isn't going to change it. No, I know. What we have, uh, and, you know, I'm going to give you your motivational speech here. We have a very privileged position as lawyers. Really? In that we do, yes, and for many reasons, but one is that we do have the opportunity to do things that can change this. And the way we do it is we represent people who have been in this situation. We call the police out on their bad behavior. We bring it to the attention of the judge, and we zealously advocate for our clients to the fullest extent that we can within our ethical bounds to try and secure a judgment to identify what happened for what it is and to ensure that it doesn't happen to another person again. That's assuming that everybody you deal with during the course of defending that matter is reasonable and rational and... um, Well, that's what a good cross-examination is for. Yeah. Well, you could have a Mayan system... What's the Mayan system? And we could just, like, kill virgins on the top of a pyramid as part of our justice system. Um, I'm going to go with no <laughs> on that. Although maybe all those incels, that would be a good way to deal with the incel terrorists. Yeah, I don't want to suggest that. Yeah, I don't um, want to incite <laughs> the incels against me either. No, no, it's not so much that. I just think that there's lots of complex things going on there. I just... um. There are days when uh, I think of this, for example, this um, three-plant incident, um, where I think, gee, you know, there's got to be a better way to have a justice system. You know, as lawyers, we're all real true believers in our justice system, and uh, this is the one that we've got, and, you know, this is the, uh, I didn't build it, I just fly it type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I always just wonder if there's some sort of, much smarter way, but again, I don't want, um, I'm not a believer in um, revolution. No. Only in evolution. So, not going to happen in my lifetime. Just keep doing the best I can for my clients. Well, speaking of evolution, there was an evolution of uh, paperwork you got from ICBC recently. Yeah, so I got my 
notice um, with respect to the renewal of my car. So my car insurance expires on the 4th of September. If I find myself driving on the 5th and I have a problem, I'm not going to be able to deny knowledge of it because it's now on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, my personal vehicle, the insurance expires on September 4th. And of course, if you live in British Columbia, you probably already know that David Eby, a former guest on this, uh, on this wonderful podcast, uh, came on the podcast to announce announced it in other locations as well, but that um, insurance would be adjusted. It would be cheaper for some people, more expensive for other people, and it would be more closely connected to the driver of the vehicle. So if you had many years of uh, safe driving and very few tickets, your insurance might go down. And if you had a number of tickets, your insurance would go up, and that is as of September 1st. And we've noticed uh, an increase in um, work uh, that we do defending driving matters uh, because people are aware of this and alert to the fact that their driving record is going to affect their insurance. Well, I got my notice telling me to that I have to renew, and my renewal is right after everything changes, and my renewal notice tells me that I have to list the people who drive my car. That's a lot of people. That's the thing. There can be a lot of people who drive my car. Over the course of the year, you might drive my car one day. Mm -hmm. Um, Various people from the office could drive my car one day. My dad might drive my car one day if his car's in the shop. I mean, it's not common. You might go two years where only one other person drives my car. But it's... People frequently drive my car because I might have court somewhere in the afternoon and hearings and I need a ride to court. Sure. The other day, yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday. No, but yesterday... Mm-hmm. Uh, you drove your car to court and you had to rush back to the office and had to leave your car in court. Yeah. And, and I had, had to get, get somebody else to drive it back. Laura to walk up to court and drive my car back. Sure. I mean, and there's lots of times I've run out to move your car around the block when you've had to rush back to the office and, and had some interview or a, a um, hearing over the phone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes time to renew yours, we're going to have to list 26 people who potentially theoretically could drive your car. And that could uh, affect your insurance greatly. And I like, I I I will hire different staff members. What about within the next year who might have to drive my car? What if you go park at a hotel or a restaurant and you get your car valeted? Well, you got to fax into ICBC who the valet is. That's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm you know I'm looking forward to actually going down to my my ICBC insurance broker to find out whether or not my insurance is going up or down and looking at the list that I provide and. Um, as I went through it, I couldn't see any, uh, there was a focus on, we're focusing on the driver now at ICBC. You may notice some changes. We're focusing more on the driver. Um, you know, you can understand what they're doing. Their concern is the mother registering the car, the Ferrari, and then the 19-year-old son is driving the Ferrari around all the time or whatever. Yeah, totally. And that's a, you know, um... probably a very small percentage of people, but I've had lots of clients over the years (laughs) who have had, uh, well, no, I mean, I've had lots of clients over the years where the the child is the driver of the vehicle that's owned by the parent and they don't declare it as the principal operator or something like that. So it's more of a focus on, you know, who's driving. But um, on um, Linda Steele today, she was talking and tweeted about um, people who had perfect driving records, got their, you know, new notice of insurance and... It, and they're all going up. And it's going up. 
like some people, I was looking at some of the re replies to her tweet, <coughs> are paying like five hundred dollars more. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But you again, these all these people who are responding, you wonder. How many bags of chips wonder, you can buy for that? A lot of bags of chips. I don't know. Um, the um, well, it can hurt. It can hurt. You know. I know you spend five hundred dollars in a year on a bag on chips, but I mean, for people who can't <laughs> yeah, afford in that, in a year, um, <laughs> not in a month. <laughs> um, <clears throat> for people who can't afford the five hundred bucks, it can be a big hit. Yes. Um, fixed income. Uh, even if you're not a fixed income, if you're working and just uh, you know, trying to pay your bills, you're single and you can afford to spend your money on chips. The rest of the population has to pay for. You have your hand up. Do we have a question, Miss? No. Lee? I wanted to slam my hand down to say, but I know someone whose insurance is about to go up. Whose? Our ridiculous driver of the week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that he is going to get a bigger bill that he deserves. <laughs> well, maybe he's innocent, Kyla, you know. Oh, Presumption I, of innocence. I think Innocent until proven guilty. The numerous calls to police and the recordings, some of which were played on the radio this morning that I heard, of this driver who yesterday afternoon decided to take a trip down Highway 99. And by down Highway 99, he went into every other vehicle on Highway 99 that was in his way. He was having a bad day or a psychological problem? or Who knows? I mean, there was obviously something more going on there, whether it was impairment or psychological or um, like medical. Something was going on. Um, there was a, a recording of, of one of the witnesses um, played on the radio this morning, and she described seeing a vehicle with smoke coming out of it. And she thought, oh, that's not good. I'd better alert the driver. But as she got close, she noticed that the entire front end <laughs> was just obliterated. <laughs> the tire was, like, flat. It was driving on a rim. <laughs> like, just all... The things you can imagine just going down the road at I've 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I've had all of that with clients in the past. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, does not make it easy to defend. Well, I've had all of that before uh, even necessarily people were phoning in with cell phones and things like that. So if it's in the middle of the day going down, uh, this was the East-West Connector or something like that? Where was it? Highway you 99. Know? Highway 99 right by my baby's door. Yeah, I don't get the gal I'm loving. We'll go down Highway 99 no more. Yeah. Okay, so, well, maybe that was the issue. Yeah. Wasn't getting the gal he was loving, so... so just, he's not going down Highway 99, he's going down every other car. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Anyway, ridiculous... That's the ridiculous driver of the driver week. Driver of the week. See, I'm so glad I created the... Came up with the concept of the ridiculous driver of the week. Yes. Did you? Yes, I did. And you mocked me soundly at the start. You said, no, I don't want to have a ridiculous driver of the week. That's not not worthy of my I think you wanted podcast. to call it stupid driver of the week. No, I didn't. I suggested ridiculous driver of the week. Well, you didn't we'll, even like we'll that. And this... you said, I'll come up with a better idea. And then the first week you just declared ridiculous driver of the week. We'll take this debate off the podcast because nobody needs to hear Paul and I debate history. Um, the important point is... If anybody remembers it being discussed on a previous podcast, let us know where and the uh, timestamp so we can find it. Yes, and if you were the ridiculous driver of the week this week or any week and you need some legal help, just because we made fun of you on the podcast doesn't mean we won't defend you or we, successfully. We probably have already defended some people we talked about on the podcast and the... Ridiculous driver, yeah. yeah. Probably. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, we can't say. Um, Could never say. No. Nope. Could. It's po entirely possible. 
Anyway, if you do need any legal help related to driving, give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 